Let us pray. Gracious God, as we turn to study your word, we pray that you would open our hearts and our minds, that we may hear your voice speaking into our lives with power and with clarity. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable to you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. In the old highlands, and even when I was a boy, it was a very common practice that if folk were trying to determine who somebody was, they would ask this question, Kolishu. Translated, that is, to whom do you belong? Or, who are your people? The common phrase or the common response was usually something along the lines of you as an individual giving what we called in Gaelic your slonyug or your genealogy. And in, in most cases, it would be the genealogical line through your father. So, for example, on my father's side, I would be known in the community as Echen, Mach Alistair, Ian, Haramach Alistair Hunich. That's Hector, son of Alistair, son of John, son of Norman, son of Alistair, son of Kenneth. And on my mother's side, I'm known as Echen, Madi, Echen, Eon, Gonich, Lesbic, and Horlia. So Hector, the son of Mary, the daughter of Hector, the son of Jonathan, the son of Donald, the son of Gillespie, the son of John, the son of Sorlair or Samuel. A fair few generations there. But if you were able to give somebody your genealogy or your slonyug, they had you. I know who you are. I know you from your people. And even the use of nicknames helped to identify people. So my father uh, was from the west side of Skye, and we were, my mother was from the north end of the island, and that's where we were brought up. But whenever we would go and visit my father's family over on the west side, near the Talisker distillery, where some of the family worked, I was always known as Dot's son. My father's nickname was Dot. I'm not sure why, but I know it annoyed him, and he hate, hated being referred to as, as Dot. But if I were to tell anybody that I was Dot's son, they knew instantly who I was, who my father was, and who my people were. And the same was true with a trade. 
My great-grandfather on my mother's side was James Budge, and he was a blacksmith and a farrier, and my granny was known in the community as Maggie Agoa, or Maggie, daughter of the blacksmith. And so it goes on and on and on, and to this day you have John the Bus and James the Post and Murder the Lorry. Names were probably more important in the past than they are now. The fashion seems to be to name people after a popular film star or musician or to come up with some sort of outlandish name that the poor child is stuck with for the rest of their lives. In the Highlands, there was the connection with the past. I'm named after my grandfather on my mother's side. Whereas in other places, your name said maybe something about the character that your parents hoped that you would develop or something that they saw in you even as a baby. Name and identity feature strongly in the passage that we heard this evening. I wonder if you have come into church tonight and you feel as if the train has come off the tracks. Things are not as you had hoped or expected, or maybe even as you think God had said they would be. Maybe you feel that so much has gone wrong partly because of yourself. You and the Lord were once close. You're thinking this evening of the words spoken by the woman with the issue of blood. If I could but touch the hem of his robe, I will be healed. Well, I hope and pray that there's something for you here tonight as we think about what happened to Jacob. It's a big chapter. There's so much that we could look at this evening. And it can be very tempting to try and wring as much as you can out of a passage in one sitting. But this evening, I want to do the old-fashioned Highland thing and just focus on one verse. And it's verse 10. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. God said to him, Your name is Jacob, but you will no longer be called Jacob. Your name will be Israel. Your name is Jacob. I mentioned at the beginning the importance of someone's name in different cultures. Your name said something about the character of an individual. And in Jacob's case, this was a less than complimentary thing. 
Jacob means he deceives, or one who grasps at the heel. And when we look at the story of Jacob's life, it was one that was marked by deception. They have a saying in Gaelic, you're getting an awful lot of Scottish culture tonight. I don't know whether to apologize or not, but uh, they have a saying in Scottish Gaelic that what a child sees, a child often does. And Jacob's family possibly shaped him into being this manipulative individual that he turned out to be. There was favoritism in the family. Father Isaac favored Esau, the strapping hunter. Mother Rebecca championed Jacob. And this favoritism reached into the next generation with Jacob favoring Joseph. And we know what happened there. I wonder, does this come as a welcome warning to us to undoubtedly love our children unconditionally, but to love them equally? Because the damage can be done at an early age. Rebecca helped Jacob deceive his father into giving him the prized blessing reserved for the eldest son. When discovered, this caused a rift between the brothers that led to Jacob fleeing to his uncle Laban to seek sanctuary. Jacob, who had built his life upon deception, would find that at times what you sow, you reap. Laban conned Jacob with promises of marriage to Rachel, whom Jacob loved dearly. But on the wedding day, it was the other sister, Leah, whom he wed. And this led to a further stay in order to win Rachel's hand. And while he was at it, in his role as farm manager, he began to build his own flocks and herds at his uncle's cost. He kept the strong ones, the best ones, for himself. His uncle and cousins weren't daft, however. And the attitude towards Jacob began to change. Jacob realized this, and taking his family and his possessions, Jacob made a quick getaway. He's followed, and he has to account for his actions. There are accusations of household gods being stolen. But he comes away from all of this unscathed. Next, he has to face his brother Esau. He's fearful, knowing how his serious actions of the past were. But things do not turn out as he expected. And there is reconciliation between the brothers. In all these life events, there's one thing that covered Jacob, and that is the grace of God. 
as he fled home to seek refuge with his uncle, Jacob encounters God during the night. And in that place, God promises to be with him and to watch over him wherever he will go. He promises blessing to all people on earth through his line. He promises to bring him back to that land and states that he will not leave him until he has fulfilled all that he has promised. And Jacob is awe-inspired by what he sees and by what he hears. And he knows that this is a holy encounter. And as befits being in the presence of the holy God, he is afraid. And he says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He renames the place Bethel, the house of God dedicates himself to God and pledges a tenth of all that he receives to God. But as we read the story, we see that Jacob continues to live by his old name. He continues to live as the master of deception. They say that the hardest thing to gain and the easiest to lose is your reputation. The hardest thing to gain, but the easiest to lose, is your reputation. I wonder what does this say to us tonight? Are we a bit like Jacob, having made a commitment to God, but choosing to live a very different way? One of the wonderful things about studying the individuals whose lives are recorded in the Bible is that they are shown in all their humanity, with all their sinfulness and all their failures, they're there, warts and all, for us to study, for us to learn from. Maybe we find ourselves challenged tonight by this picture of Jacob, the deceiver. Because in some way, we see ourselves almost as in a mirror. For so long, we've been trying to do things our own way, with no thought of God, but life has spiral down and down and down. And here we are tonight. God said to Jacob at the beginning of chapter 35, go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God. Bethel was the place where Jacob had encountered God. Bethel was the place where Jacob should have been, and so too with us. 
Our lives will only be truly complete when we find our place in God. St. Augustine said of the relationship between God and humanity, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Jacob had known something of God, but he'd wandered, and his wanderings hadn't satisfied his longings. And so God says, come back to the place of worship. Come back to the life of worship. Return to Bethel. And as Jacob is spiritually renewed, the effect is to be seen in his family and in the whole household as they get rid of the foreign gods, as they purify themselves, as they change their clothes. There are many of us who maybe feel a sense of despair at the mistakes of the past, at the mistakes that we have made, even when we've come to faith. We're burdened by regret, and there are times when we feel as if God has written us off. There are some times in our experience when it may be as if we're living in the old name. But the wonder of this life story, this story of Jacob, is seen in the grace of God upon Jacob's life. God renamed him. God wasn't done with him. Neither is he done with us. Jacob could have been despondent. Jacob could have thought to himself that this was it. But he didn't. His best years were not behind him. And so too with us. Some of us think, well, I've served. What can I do now? We come to the place of worship. We come to Bethel. And there, God equips us for service. I wonder, what's he calling you to do this evening? What longing, what desire to serve has he placed on your heart? You were too fearful to step out. But you've come to Bethel this evening. And he's sending you out.
He's sending you out. The best is not in the past. The best is yet to come. And so do not write yourself off as being of no value or of no use. God renamed Jacob. God was not done with him, neither is he done with us. Your name will be Israel, meaning he struggles with God. And we know that comes from the encounter earlier on where Jacob wrestles with the man who appears to him during the night. And the only way the man can overcome him is by touching his hip. Brian Dembovchik writes, the swindler had been wrestling with other people his entire life. And more importantly, wrestling with God You see, each swindle was based on Jacob's lack of trust in the goodness of God. He didn't believe that God was good to provide, so he took Esau's birthright and Laban's best sheep. He didn't believe that God was good to bless, so he tricked Isaac for his blessing. What about you? Do you still trust in the goodness of God? Do you still trust that the one who says that the cattle on a thousand hills are his, do you trust him to provide? Do you still believe that God can bless In renaming Jacob, what God is saying is, you are mine, and I can give you a new name, and I can give you a new identity. Jacob's old name marked him out as a deceiver. The new name marked him out as being God's. Shepherds use a mark. When I was growing up, it was paint or an earmark to identify their sheep and lambs. And so it is with God. When we believe, he sets his mark, his seal upon us. The Holy Spirit, in a wonderful way, comes to live inside us. And day by day, he transforms us to be more like Jesus. The old has gone. The new has come. We are a new creation in Christ. Now, we might not experience a literal name change, but we certainly experience a change in identity. We go from being enemies of God to his friends. As Peter says, But you are a chosen people, 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. And as with Jacob, all of this takes place not because of any good in us, but because God is gracious and merciful. So this evening, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, no matter how far along the road you are, you can stand firm, knowing that he who began a good work in you will complete it. He will not abandon you. He will not forsake you. Your eternal future is secure. Coronavirus, global warming, change of parliament, These things come and go. They may be bumps on the journey, but you are secure. You are secure. As Paul said to the Christians in Rome, people who were experiencing fierce persecution for following Jesus. He said to them, I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The world may change. The seas may roar and the mountains may crumble. But you, believer, child of God, friend of Jesus, are not going anywhere. When you go through the waters, they will not come over you. When you go through the flames, they will not burn you because he has called you by name. You are his. He's got you, as the song goes, in the palm of his hand. You are secure because of God's goodness and God's grace. You can sing the words with gusto. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven, evermore his praises sing. Jacob, the man who was known as a deceiver, became Israel the one 
who wrestled with God. The wrestling with God was a blessing. God rebranded Jacob. He renamed him. He gave him an eternal hope. He gave us an eternal hope by his grace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that warts and all, though our fears and our failings are great, yet you love us. Would you draw near to anyone in particular who's feeling particularly bruised or battered at this time? Would you draw near to anyone who finds themselves going through the mill? And would you remind them of their identity, their new identity? in Christ and would they be able to sing in Christ alone my hope is found he is my light my strength my song we praise you O God we give you thanks the God of nature and the God of grace and the giver of all good for the world that you've made with its wonderful landscapes, its changing seasons, its teeming life, for the life that you have given us with its opportunities and responsibilities, its routines and delights, for the history we have inherited with its treasures of art and science and its variety of ordinary human goodness, for the joy and care of our homes, for the food we eat, the friendships we cherish, and the health we enjoy. For all the bounty of your providence, we praise you and bless your holy name. We praise you that at the appointed time you sent your Son, born of a woman, to live and work in our world, to seek and save the lost, to suffer and die on the cross, to rise victorious over death, and to rule at your right hand forever. We thank you that you sent your Holy Spirit to the church and to the world to lead us into truth, to point the way to goodness, to increase among all people the spirit of sympathy and understanding. Make us worthy of your goodness. Open our hearts to love and praise you and inspire us always to live for your glory. God of all kindness. You gave your only Son because you loved the world so much. We pray for the peace of the world. Move among us by your Spirit. Break down barriers of fear 
suspicion and hatred. Heal our human family of its divisions and unite it in the bonds of justice and peace. And ultimately, may we all find peace through your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray for our country, enrich our common life, strengthen the forces of truth and goodness, teach us to share prosperity, that those whose lives are impoverished may pass from need and despair to dignity and joy. We pray for those who suffer. Surround them with your love. Support them with your strength. Console them with your comfort. And give them hope and courage beyond themselves. We pray for our families, for those whom we love. Protect them at home. Support them in times of difficulty and anxiety that they may grow together in mutual love and understanding and rest content in one another. We pray for the church. Keep her true to the gospel and responsive to the gifts and needs of all. Make known your saving power in Jesus Christ by the witness of her faith, her worship, and her life. We remember with thanksgiving all those who have gone before us in the way of Christ. Keep us united with all your people on earth and in heaven. Grant that as we journey through the years, we may know joys that are without end, and that at the last come to that abiding city where you reign in glory everlasting through Jesus Christ our Lord.